You're listening to Dairy Voice, a podcast exclusively for the dairy industry. Welcome to Dairy Voice. This is your host, Joel Hastings, and I'm really looking forward to our conversation with today's guest. He's Jeff King of King's Ransom Dairy Farm in Schuylerville, New York, beautiful Saratoga County, north of Albany. Jeff, welcome, and I'm so pleased you could join us today. Hey, thanks, Joel. It's, it's a real pleasure to be here. Let's get started by just having you talk a little bit about your family and the, the family involvement in the dairy, a couple generations for sure. Just give us a little uh, picture of the, of the dairy operation. The farm today is run by my family and my brother's family. My family consists of my wife and three kids, two of which are in college and one in high school. And my brother, also his wife and two kids that are in high school. My uh, parents are still uh, live nearby the dairy and are active in an advisory role. Pretty much all members of the family are involved in one way or another. Well, and I, uh, I know that uh, your lovely wife uh, is also from a, from a dairy background. Just introduce her a bit too. Sure, her name is Becky um, and she's involved in a few different aspects of the business. She's uh, grew up in Western New York on Emerling Farms, and uh, admittedly, a, a number of years ago, we met is when we were uh, doing some junior Holstein activities back in when we were 12, 13 years old. Jan's wife is also very involved in the business. She grew up in Massachusetts, and she's a large animal veterinarian, uh, mainly a bovine practitioner, and fortunately, she does most of the work on our, uh, on our farm. Uh, maybe that's a good transition. Tell us uh, what the dairy consists of today, your milking herd, your heifer operation. So our dairy consists of today, we milk about 1,100 uh, registered Holsteins three times a day. We, we carry a pretty large heifer inventory. We've got around 1,200 head of heifers. And uh, we normally on, on most occasions have about 100 young bulls on the farm as well. We crop about 3,000 acres, mainly corn and alfalfa grass mix, a little bit of soybean in there for some rotation. Most of the forages, most of the feed goes into silage with some uh, dry corn grain made from time to time. When you talk about your heifer inventory and that number of young bulls, that must mean uh, you're doing some marketing or uh, what does account for that? Certainly the registered Holsteins in the marketing of cattle has been a pretty active part of our business for a number of years. We've been, we've been active breeders of Holsteins with an eye on basically creating the type of cattle that the marketplace demands. So on the, on the bull side of things, we maintain a, a very active embryo IVF program on the farm. Uh, we work a lot of donors. We currently run a an IVF facility here on the premises. So we aspirate two days every week, producing embryos not only for ourselves, but some other local neighbors as well. So we produce a lot of embryos and uh, we not only put them, we implant them here at our dairy and also we rent some recipients in other locations so that we can get all the embryos that we produce placed. And of course, uh, one of the byproducts of that is uh, we do end up raising a number of bulls. Uh, those bulls will be on the high end of the genetic spectrum. We, geno we genomic test all of those young bulls as soon as they're born. We call out the bottom. Uh, certainly there are some bulls that are slated to go to AI programs. And then we do raise uh, another segment of those bulls. A few of those sometimes end up selling as breeder bulls to other local farms. 
when you talk about the heifer inventory, do you, do you market females too? Yeah, we do. And uh, it's kind of a double-edged sword. There's certainly a movement in the business these days to reduce heifer numbers. Uh, but we've gotten in a, into a situation that works pretty well with us. First, the larger number of heifers gives us more embryo recipients. So it allows us to produce more calves and be able to utilize those embryos that we're producing. But over time, we have developed a very strong market for young cows. So a number of those animals end up with repeat buyers. We've developed a really nice market with some dairymen in Canada, but also here around home as well. I think we've, we've developed that repeat business by, by having animals that are not only well-grown, but have the right kind of genetics for longevity, high production in a commercial environment. While we're on this topic of breeding, let's, you've used the term uh, good commercial cows. What do, you, what do your cows look like? What are their confirmation? And also, uh, what kind of sire selection do you use to, to get the result that you want? So that answer has really two answers. We do select a small portion of the herd for higher type animals. We like to do some showing, so we keep ourselves entertained and our kids are very involved in that. So a small segment of the herd would be for uh, higher type and we try to blend higher type with high production and good longevity and fertility traits. And the majority of the herd would be bred using a combination of TPI and net merit is our goals. We really strive for medium-sized cattle with a lot of capacity, with really functional feet and legs, and tremendous mammary systems. Those are the kind of cattle that really uh, succeed in our herd and, uh, and have really done well for others. Another important part of that is some of the management traits that have come along here in the last few years, like longevity, calving ease, somatic cell, fertility, and we've really seen those traits kind of play themselves out and, and show their significance. So over the years, we've seen animals with better fertility ratings on, on a genomic test actually perform better in our herd. And, and uh, so we've become pr pretty strong believers in, in some of those evaluations that we've seen. Dairy farmers know that the better they take care of their cows, the better their cows take care of them. And that's why we at Virtus Nutrition launched Energy 3 with Omega-3s, the healthy fat supplement that has many of the same fatty acids that are found in olive oil and salmon to help cows stay healthy and productive. Visit VirtusNutrition.com to learn more. That's V-I-R-T-U-S Nutrition.com. Uh, you mentioned genomic testing the bulls. I assume you're doing some or all of your females too? We are. We do all of our females and all of the bulls that are born on the farm. But we don't cull many females because uh, we don't end up with a very many lower ranking females. And of course, the lower genetic heifers usually end up carrying an embryo anyway, uh, a little further down the line. But genomic testing is something that uh, we've utilized since the beginning. I think that the, the system has become more accurate over time. And it's certainly not the only method of evaluation we use. It's a piece, it's part of the information that's available, but we, we do value it as an, as an important piece. As a registered breeder, even at your scale, I presume that you uh, regularly classify in, in the herd? Yes, we do. And as, as you mentioned that, we're getting ready for another classification here in a few days. We enjoy classification. It's a lot of work and, and uh, 
but we enjoy some of the results, some of the information that we get from that. And certainly it helps our marketing program. We've been fortunate to have some, some cows score very well and that ended up having really good pedigrees and cows that we were able to market a lot of genetics from virtually around the world. While it's a little bit of extra work for the whole team around the farm, we, we tend to enjoy it at the end of the day. That's great. And uh, obviously another important part of pedigrees is the production levels. What sort of production are you getting on the herd these days? We're in the 85 to 90 pounds, usually pushing 90 pounds a day across the herd with pretty good component levels, usually a 4% in the neighborhood of 4% butter fat and 3.1, protein. Do you find some challenges as your herd has expanded in terms of uh, managing water and manure? You're in you're in a rural county, but there's some suburban parts of it. How are you? How do you work with your neighbors? Yeah, certainly. Uh, you've been to the area we live in, but for those who haven't, it's really a gorgeous area. We're right outside a small city called Saratoga, and it's a it's an affluent, well-heeled place where people really enjoy to live. And the countryside is gorgeous. So the the local landscape looks like uh, we have uh, houses growing just as fast as we have corn growing in the area. So water and manure, you know, manure is, is an ongoing challenge for us. And uh, we do our best to work with our neighbors and uh, try to be very respectful of what's going on in the neighborhood. I always recall the, the neighbor who uh, grew up in the South and an older woman, and she had told me one day as we were spreading manure across from her house, how totally impressive it was. And she had to call her friend from back in Virginia or North Carolina, as I recall, and tell her how beautiful that was that we were spreading manure out there in the field. So <laughs> it's good to have supportive neighbors. That's right. That's right. But really, you know, the, the manure management issue is, is ongoing and uh, something that we really have to tiptoe around and make sure we're really paying attention to the details and working on reducing smell and reducing, uh, you know, traffic on the roadways or, or potential mud on a roadway or something. Those are all things that we work pretty hard at. Uh, you mentioned beautiful Saratoga, New York. Some folks in our audience may have heard about that in terms of horse racing in the summertime, but it's, it's gorgeous uh, all year round pretty much. But you mentioned the affluent neighborhood, which may be a lead into another part of your business, which is that you and your brother have gotten in, and your families have, have begun to process, bottle, and market your, your own milk. Let's, let's talk about that part of your business. Well, certainly that's a, it's been a, a, a small but growing portion of what we do. And if we go back in time, my grandfather and his brothers and sisters bottled milk on the farm for a number of years, and they marketed it here in the local area, including Saratoga Springs and stopped in the early 60s uh, due to some changes in regulations and investment that was needed at the time. Uh, but they continued to milk cows. And uh, so as the local movement started here 10, 15 years ago, as we started to notice more interest in that, my brother and I started to consider whether we could think about going back to that. So we started by developing a small home delivery route in the beginning. And we had our milk co-packed by another area farmer. Uh, and we put that business up until uh, 2016 when we built our own on-farm processing plant. So for a little over four years, we've been bottling our own milk under our own brand. And probably to say the least, it's been, it's been an interesting ride. I can only imagine, or maybe I can't imagine. Well, let's talk about who your customers are. Uh, 
do you do, do you do home delivery or are you selling to retail establishments or who, who buys your milk? The original piece of the business was home delivery and that was milk bottled in glass bottles. Uh, we still do that. We bottle today in both glass and plastic. All of the home delivery sales would be in glass bottled milk and at our home delivery routes, we also offer a number of other food products, a number of staples, meats, cheeses, yogurt, and we, we offer well over 200 products on a regular basis. So kind of a farmer's market on wheels. So the home delivery business is where we started. And then after we started bottling our own product and had more control over our labeling and milk quality and everything, we, we slowly got into more restaurants and we currently service a number of local restaurants and small delis, as well as uh, more and more supermarkets along the way. More recently, we've also started to work with some other distributors that are not in our local area. So our milk volumes have grown. We, we really strive to have a tremendously high quality uh, product that I think people can taste the difference when they taste our milk compared to the competition. We have a chocolate milk that we believe is um, outstanding and we, we really appreciate when we hear that from our customers. And I think that helps give us a little bit of a, a signature product in the marketplace. And so uh, over time, we've built some better brand recognition and uh, we've been able to grow our sales slowly but steadily over the last four years. More recently, we have started ice cream production and uh, are currently producing about 70 flavors of our own homemade ice cream. Uh, we produce our own ice cream mix on the farm, which we're able to kind of custom uh, produce to our own specifications. And it really makes a nice, nice product. And we opened uh, a little over a year and a half ago, we opened an ice cream parlor right on the farm. So it gives us an opportunity to interact more with the public, uh, for people to come in and try our products, get a little experience about what the farm is about, and, and learn a little bit more about our business at, at the same time. Well, Jeff, we've heard so many stories about how the COVID pandemic has impacted milk sales on a, across the country and in all sorts of ways. What's been the impact on your business? Well, it's, it's changed a bit over the last few months, certainly in the initial uh, beginning downs and restrictions that were caused by COVID. We saw the supermarkets that we were in, of course, the, the shelves became bare and everybody did some panic buying and, and we saw that happen with our product as well. And then over time it leveled out. But in our on-farm store, we, we offer a lot of food products there in addition to ice cream. So we certainly saw a tremendous increase in our local store traffic. And I think that was driven by uh, shoppers, customers looking for places that they, that they trusted and maybe places that they believed didn't have as much traffic as the major supermarkets. So we saw a big increase in, in customer flow through our local store, as did a lot of people in our area. I think that was actually very good for our business because it exposed exposed our storefront to a lot more people than we normally would have had. Did it affect your uh, retail uh, delivery business? Yes, it did. So we also provide uh, milk and other products to a number of restaurants, and we provide some milk to some schools as well. And we saw those businesses that shut down, schools that closed, 
that part of the business completely evaporated overnight. So luckily we were, we had some that went completely away and some others that went up and we were somewhat in balance. So fortunately we didn't just have the portion of the business that completely went away, but it would, it, at the end of the day, it caused us to pivot a little bit and adjust some of our resources, reallocate some of our uh, deliveries and so forth, and we were able to work through it. The other part of our business, the home delivery business, certainly saw a big increase. And at one point, we were pretty much inundated with phone calls with people looking for delivery. Unfortunately, at the time, we, we took on as many people as we possibly could, and we added routes and drivers, but it was a challenge in the short term there. So over time, it's been, it's been positive for our business because I really believe that consumers have looked to not only brands that they trust, but also food outlets that they trust. Maybe getting back to basics, and we're probably seeing that on a, on a macro scale in the entire dairy industry as well with some of the responses that we've seen from consumers overall. Uh, Jeff, at some point as we get through this pandemic, some may say it's sooner rather than later, but whatever. Uh, how do you see your business changing? How do you see the dairy business changing in the post-COVID world? Or will we just go back to pre-COVID days? I'm not sure we're ever going to get back to the pre-COVID norm. I really, I think that we may over time have, have witnessed some shifting of consumer attitudes. Certainly the people that interact with our business, we've brought new customers in that have appreciated the fact that uh, perhaps we have a little more attention to detail or that we have a, they can connect with our business and connect to their food source a whole, a whole lot more directly by dealing with a small business like ours. And I think it probably has made consumers just, just pause for a minute and think a little bit more about their health and where their food comes from and maybe question a little bit more their, their decisions about how they source that food. One question I enjoy asking and I enjoy the answers from dairymen like you who have begun to retail their milk, kind of what have you learned and how has your attitude changed? Uh, how do you view today's consumers uh, differently or perhaps not differently? How do you view them today now that you're a milk seller versus in the days before you and your brother got into the, to the milk business? I, I would say, and I'm sure I'm speaking for my brother as well, it's, it's been an eye-opening experience. You certainly get, get exposed to consumers who really have no idea what they're, what they're asking or what they're interested in. And I think when you really get back to the root of questions from consumers, you realize that they, they are interested in where their food comes from. They're interested, but they really have no, no knowledge to base their questions on. And they're really searching for, for people that have information and answers about their questions, information they can trust. Uh, over time, I've had experience talking directly with consumers. Their questions can range from common sense questions to questions that are completely off the wall. You certainly realize that they're just searching for information. Unfortunately, it's easy for other people to put information out, especially in the days of social media that uh, is completely incorrect or completely bogus information. Without a, with a lack of other truthful information to compare that to, it's pretty easy for a consumer just to grab onto that and decide it's the truth. 
when, when we're able to connect with people and we're able to answer their questions, you can almost see a, a little sigh of relief when people maybe understand things better. When we make things more clear for them, they're almost relieved to hear that they've maybe finally found the truth. Well, Jeff, as we wind up here, uh, I'm tired just listening to all the activities that you and your family are involved in, but you must have a good team of employees. Talk about your, your workforce and, and how you work together with them. It, you're absolutely right, Joel. We, we have been fortunate over the years, uh, even before we started some of these extra businesses, to have some really good people working with us. And as we've kind of grown and dipped our toe into some new ventures, we certainly could not have done it without having the support of just an incredible staff. And uh, as we look around us today, my brother and I frequently talk about how fortunate we are that, that we've got excellent people in every aspect of the business, whether it's crops or cows or bottling milk or making ice cream, every single aspect, we're just kind of blown away. Very fortunate to have the people we have and we realize that uh, that's what it takes to drive those businesses. It calls to mind the fact that I think good employees are attracted to uh, good owners and good, good managers. And I think you and your family fit in that category very nicely. Well, thanks, Joel. It's been, it's been a real pleasure visiting with you today. Jeff, thanks so much for sharing your story with us. It's great to catch up with you and all your activities. Uh, please give my regards to your, to your family, uh, particularly your mom and dad. I certainly will. And this is your host, Joel Hastings, for Dairy Voice at dairybusiness.com.